Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. This uh, series is called Equip, and that's short from a phrase that appears in Ephesians 4.12. It talks about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Hello, saints. Okay. You're not feeling very saintly today, are you? Good hey, morning, Eli. Thank you. <laughs> okay, saint. Ooh, I had to hit you with the, with the S word, right? Okay, well, relax. Take it easy. Um, the saint is related to a word uh, called uh, sanctified. And sanctified means set apart. And usually someone or something that is set apart is set apart for a certain purpose. So we're going to do just a little bit of math here. There are exactly as many saints in the room as there are saved people because you are one and the same. Saved people equals saints. What are you sanctified? What are you set apart for? Well, according to Romans 8.29, you are set apart for the purpose of being conformed to the image of Jesus, God's Son. So it's a good thing we've been praising Jesus and getting more familiar with Jesus all morning so far because that's where you're headed. Romans 8, 29, you want to write it? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, meaning Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers. That's, that's where we're headed. Hello, saints. <laughs> there we go. That's getting there. So with this new series and with this equipping, uh, this and I think three more weeks that we're doing this, uh, what's the best way, as, best way I can cooperate with Jesus' plan? Ephesians 4 says that, that Christ gave to his church um, uh, prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If I'm going to equip you for the work of ministry, then since we're headed toward the image of Jesus, I would teach you what Jesus does and equip you to do what Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? All right, you're thinking, all right. Well, Mark 1.14 says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. Looks like maybe we ought to go and proclaim the gospel. And, okay, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, so all of the rest of y'all who, who don't have the, like, the spiritual gift of evangelism, I'm cringing with you too a little bit, saying, ooh, I'm no good at proclaiming the gospel. All right, fair enough. Do you have to have the spiritual gift of evangelism in order to share the gospel? Nope. You don't. This is where we start equipping. It's, it's simpler than, than we think. Yes, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. And so I'm going to try to equip you, best I can, in this oddly titled sermon. It's called, Please Don't Share the Gospel. To quote my brother Aaron here, next slide, please. <laughs> please don't share the gospel until you know what the gospel is. Fair? Is that fair? Okay. This won't take long to learn what the gospel is and the few things we need to know in order to begin sharing it. Right now would be a good time to pray, so let's, let's do that. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And, and we can only do that, Lord, because of God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us straight up your words 
Romans 5, 5. Here we are loving you out of the love you've poured into our hearts. That's it. So Jesus, in that love, we're going to say, we trust you with your word, with your way, with your gospel. Teach us, lead us according to your word, your name, your promise. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> the going rate, I think, for preachers is a minimum of three points per sermon. Three to ten. Two. That's how simple this is. Because the gospel is precisely two things. You ready? Number one, the gospel is foolishness. Didn't see that coming, did you? I didn't make it up. It's from the Bible. Okay, grab that Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a letter. It's in an exchange of letters between the Apostle Paul and, and the Christians in Corinth where Paul had planted a church. It's a fascinating exchange of letters. And, and, and the tone of 1 Corinthians is, Ugh, what am I going to do with those Corinthians? And so he writes. He doesn't write just correction. He also writes commendation to them. He writes encouragement to them. He writes very simply. If you, you lay that letter out from end to end, it starts super simple. It gets pretty complicated in the middle. And then it goes super simple at the end. Very simple. He just wraps it up saying, I gave you something of first importance. And this is what it was. And it was what he had said in the, in the front end of the letter. So what did he say in the front end of the letter that makes me throw a slide up here that says the gospel is foolishness? Well, it's verse verses 22 and 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which says, Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. You know, in, in Bible time terms, Jews and Gentiles, that includes the whole population of the world. And so if it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, it doesn't get far beyond foolishness to anybody in those terms. So let me set up the, the, the second thing that the gospel is. The gospel is the power of God. So what happened there? Are there two gospels? One is foolishness and the other one the power of God. We probably ought to do some more, do some more Bible Okay, let's go to verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay, it's both of those things. It's, it's the same gospel, it's different people. And the next few verses explain Explain further, verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of, of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who believe. Same gospel. Foolishness and power of God. In fact, God was, you know how I put an extra syllable in there? Pleased. He was pleased through the fo folly or the foolishness of what was preached to save 
those who believe. The idea here is to, for the folks who only understand the gospel as, as foolishness, to move folks into the, into the group who understand the gospel as the power of God. So there you have it. Foolishness and power of God. You ready? You could get like a 45-minute head start on sharing the gospel if you left right now. But what I'm, what I'm, the vibe I'm getting is like, you're not, not ready. I haven't equipped you well enough quite yet. Not quite yet. So we got a few minutes. Let's, let's try this. It would be fair of any one of you to say, hey, John, the foolishness of what is preached is for preachers. It would be fair of you to say, I can't hold my ground with the philosophers of this age. Well, neither can I. Definitely not. We don't have to. We don't have to. We have the gospel. Yes, it is foolishness. Yes, it is the power of God. You know what? In strictly human terms, you will find nothing sillier than the gospel of Jesus Christ. In purely human terms. Why does the hero die? Who signs on to a story like that? How does that thing, one of three men on a hill, a long time ago, far away, and he died? Like, how does, how does that even work? Yeah, in purely human terms, nothing sillier than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the power of God. Now with that gospel, God does this thing. The gospel saves. The atonement of Jesus Christ is totally sufficient. His resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. When he said from the cross, those seven things he said, one of those seven was, it is finished. God the Father also gives his kids a tool. Yeah, the gospel. No, he gives each one of us a tool. A thing with some leverage. When I say wonder bar, does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my son-in-law, he knows when I get out my wonder bar, it's probably time to step back. Something's coming apart. And I'm not even the best guy in the world with a wonder bar. It's, it's a flat pry bar, right? You can, you can throw it. You can hit it. You can stomp on it. Stuff moves when you apply the wonder bar, right? And I'm not even the best with it. I worked a couple of job sites a long time ago with a man whose, whose real name I struggle to remember because I had a nickname for him. And it's that barrier between me and remember. His, his real name is Tad, short for Thaddeus, I suppose. I called him Taz. He was the best at demo work. The guys on HGTV, no, no way. They're nothing like Taz. He goes at it. He, he makes all those folks look like lightweights, man, and, and when Taz, Taz, would get, Taz, Taz would get out his rip claw hammer in one hand and his wonder bar in the other, just go away. Stuff's coming apart. Get out of his way until the demo's done and then you start building back. If you take down something that was supposed to stay, well, you just deal with it. The tool we're given is our salvation story. That's the thing that is unique to each one of God's adopted kids. The gospel contains every one of those salvation stories. Every one of those salvation stories plugs perfectly into the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we prepare and get ourselves equipped to share the gospel, the very first thing I want to tell you 
is please, please, please get reacquainted with your salvation story. That story will tend to get shuffled back behind something else, right? Or, or it gets a little fuzzy or you lose some details. Or maybe, maybe some of us have never really defined it quite. Today's, today's the day. And part of what I, I want to do to, to equip us is to, is to get us ready for that and tune us up for that. So I'm going to do a little bit of coaching so far as salvation stories go and a little bit of coaching about the gospel, and then we're going to roar out of here. So there's this guy named Paul, one of the apostles, and he wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. There were times, it seems, and you can get the evidence from Scripture, that Paul himself needed to get reacquainted with his salvation story. At one point in Scripture, right, divine word, he even gave us a simple three-step pattern for telling our salvation story. And the pattern basically goes like this. I used to be that. Jesus got me. And now I'm becoming this. In Acts chapter 26, Paul used that exact pattern to tell his salvation story to a Jewish king and a high Roman official. Ooh. That's a tough audience. And Paul's story takes up almost all of Acts 26. So if you don't mind, I'll just give a synopsis. I used to kill churches of Jesus Christ. Jesus got me on the Damascus Road. I plant churches for Jesus Christ and to his glory. I was that. Jesus got me. I'm becoming this. The pattern is simple on purpose so they can be used for every salvation story. It's, okay, so in Paul's story, it's not, it's not the killing of churches or the planting of churches that's the thing. It's the, one, it's the thing in the middle. Jesus got me. Because what happened to Paul happens to every, every saved person, every person who's ever been or ever will be saved. There was a change. There was a transition. And that change is going from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That change is, is going from enemy of God and child of wrath to blood-bought daughter or son of God. And that thing in the middle that caused the change, whew, let's figure that out. Let's figure that thing out because that's where Jesus gets the, gets the glory. So here comes, here comes the coaching. I hear a lot of salvation stories. My line of work, how could I not? So if you'll pardon the expression, I'm somewhat of an expert on salvation stories. The first thing, as a kind of sort of expert on salvation stories, I'll tell you, is I've never heard the same one twice. No way. You know, I'll think it's going one way, and like, the Lord surprises me. And one testifying surprises me. I've never heard the same salvation story twice. However, with a little bit of thought, there are several categories, you know? And with a little bit of thought... The salvation story I'm hearing will land in one of those categories. Different details, but there's some similarities with others. So I want to highlight just, just a few of those, those categories because each one of those has certain barriers, certain roadblocks, certain reasons to believe that your story isn't worth telling. And that's what we want to knock down today. So getting reacquainted with our salvation story and becoming equipped to, to tell it involves some of these. First comes the, oh, man, you don't know how bad I was category. 
real damage was done through, I don't know if I'll even do this, through the addiction, through the adultery, through the sheer self-centeredness, through, through. Damage was done. And a person whose salvation story involves that, I was, I was that, and Jesus got me. Oh, I don't want everybody to know how bad I was. Not everybody needs to know how bad you were. But somebody does. And best for that time when the Holy Spirit nudges and says, Ooh, that man, be ready. Be ready. Trust Jesus with your salvation story. It is still wrapped up in the power of God to salvation. So there's that one, the old man, and you don't know how bad I was story. Next comes one I call the, well, I'm really not so sure I was ever so bad category. Uh, yeah, that's a thing. Um, sometimes the stories in this category will, will start, or somewhere near the beginning of it, I'll, I'll hear, we'll hear, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and I don't remember ever not loving Jesus. Like, a lot of people around who love Jesus, so I love Jesus too, yeah? Well, the pertinent question for the story that comes into this category is this. When did you start loving Jesus on purpose? On, on purpose. And, and maybe even that sounds a little bit, of, little bit vague. But by way of testimony, you, my story kind of fits in, in, that, in that category. Like, um, hmm, right? There's a day, January 26th of 1983. Thank you, Lord. You gave me a peg to hang it on. My bride and I were saved on the same day, 22 years old. We know that. And yes, we had that event that took place on that day. Not everybody has such a significant event, but it happened. It happened. And, and even though it's hard to define, like, I don't remember ever not loving Jesus, answering that question, here's when I started loving Jesus on purpose, is worth the trouble to get to. It's worth the trouble to get to. Those barriers have to be knocked down because the story's got to get out. Was, honestly, there are so many salvation stories that sound kind of like that. But Jesus is to be glorified. And he does that work. And he applies that atonement to a person's life. Let's get the story out. So that's the, um, I'm not so sure I was actually so bad category. So there's several more, just, just, just one more to highlight, a third one. And it's called, I'm waiting for the big change category. And, and, the, and the stories in this category you might hear somebody say, you know what, I'm still really messed up. And you know what, every once in a while I still fall for that temptation from way back. And the people who know me best might have reason to think that there hasn't been a change at all. And so, I'm waiting for the big change. I'm waiting for the, 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 the sparkling, fireworks-laden delivery that everybody's going to notice without me having to tell them the big change. I'm waiting for the big change category. Well, a big change happened, just like with Paul. See how in the first category, the, the I don't want anybody to know how bad I was category, see how that has trouble moving into the first stage of Paul's, of Paul's pattern that he gave us. I used to be that. Notice how the second one, the, oh, I don't think I was ever that bad, 
has trouble moving into the second category. Like, Jesus got me. Well, I just don't know when right now. This one here has, has trouble getting into the third step of the story of the pattern Paul gave us. Like, now I'm becoming this. I'm not quite sure what I'm becoming because I'm waiting for one big thing to happen. And again, the story has got to get out because Jesus is to be glorified. Frankly, I'd say, I'd say most salvation stories land in this third one. Like, when am I going to become the, the blogger? When am I going to be the one who has 100 notches in his, in his pistol handle, you know, 100 people I've led to Jesus? When is that going to happen? Don't wait for that to happen. You're waiting for the big, big change, and the story isn't getting out. Just get the story out and trust Jesus with, with your salvation story. So three steps. It used to be that. Jesus got me. Now I'm becoming this. Get reacquainted with your salvation story. Now here's the thought. When you get reacquainted with it, rehearse it. Practice it. Take notes on your own salvation story. Whatever it takes to have that thing on lock and load. Because we're going to come with the gospel first. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. We're coming with the gospel first. And if there's some opening, you will be led by the Holy Spirit, and it'll be time to get that story out. If you're practiced up, you're ready to go. You're not having to try to remember it at the time. It's ready to use in the instance where the Lord wants you to, wants you to use that thing. Those three steps. Remember, it's the same gospel, different people. You're, we're moving folks from the gospel is only foolishness to, oh, the gospel is the power, power of God. So here comes the coaching on the gospel. Many centuries ago, some really thoughtful Christians got together, and they wanted to answer the question, what do we have to know about the gospel? Here's their conclusion. It's not a long list. It's not a list at all. Here's their conclusion. Everything we have to know about the gospel is knowable. That's extremely happy news because now we know that God doesn't hide behind the rocks and the trees and in the bushes waiting to catch us on a technicality. Ha <laughs> ha, you're not really saved. You forgot about Article 3, Chapter 2, verse Parallel F. That doesn't happen. Everything we have to know about the gospel is knowable. There's another happy conclusion that is a corollary to that. We don't have to, everything about the gospel, that we have to know about the gospel is knowable, and we don't have to know everything about the gospel before we begin to share it. Hey, saint, 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 you are good to go. At this moment, let's just find out, no, not everything, but a couple things we really ought to know. And here they come. First off, there is no other name. There is no other name. When we run up against the philosopher of this age, when we run up against somebody maybe who's reluctant to the gospel, what's the reason for that reluctance? Do you think maybe God's been pursuing that one already? Like, whoa. You don't know. You don't know until you enter into it and find out what's causing the reluctance, okay? 
but you meet the reluctance or you meet the resistance, you meet somebody who's just, just clever, right? And, 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 and I'm tempted to do something like, well, Jesus is like, um, and then there was this other guy who was kind of like, uh, there is no other name. An early sharer of the gospel, Peter by name, had a chance to, 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 to lay it out there, right? He's got an audience like, uh-uh, yeah. It's time, to, it's time to speak it plain and time to speak it true. He started talking about this Jesus, not one of the other several thousand Jesuses who might have been within you know, several hundred miles of there. This Jesus, and nobody in the room doubted who he was talking about. This Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, you know, one y'all crucified. This Jesus, and he said, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. No other name. It is so in the pressure of the world. In the pressure of the world, there is such... Mm, I get anxious. Like, I want, I want to win the argument. We're not out to win the argument. God is already... God has already shown the foolishness of the world. And since through the world and its wisdom did not know God, God chose, was pleased, pleased through the foolishness of what is preached to save those who believe. We're not out to win the argument. We're out to bring truth and trust Jesus with it. John 1.12 also says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God. Hey, brothers and sisters, you will never, ever, ever have to make excuses for Jesus. The truth has an amazing way of bearing himself out. The other thing about the gospel, we got to know as we head out, God saves people, people don't save people. When we share the gospel, we're participating in a thing called, and there are two parts to this. The first part is the gospel call. We are participating in the gospel call. You might call it the shotgun approach. We go out and we share the gospel just as if every person we share the gospel with is going to turn to Jesus. Now, will every person we share the gospel with turn to Jesus? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I can tell you, there, there have been times in the last year or two, maybe three, Kay and I have been at our dining room table, and something comes around from 30 years ago. And, and we, we, we remind ourselves how little faith we had 30 years ago that God would work salvation and redemption in that person's life. And yet, here we are. Here we are. It's the long game, isn't it, Jack? It's the long game, isn't it, Joy? It's the long game. So we participate in this thing called the gospel call. Well, that seems like a good name for it. What's the other part? The other part is called the effectual call. And that's God's deal. That's his thing to do. That is God imputing the righteousness of his son onto this new believer. Right? And then the new believer becoming aware of it in some length of time. This is gospel call and effectual call. We just go out and do it. And we're working within this effectual call 
that God does. Drone man looked me in the eye one day many years ago. <laughs> and he said, John, I'll become a Christian when somebody gives me a satisfactory explanation of the Trinity. Like, oh man, he had to ask that. He had to say that. And I gave him one of those looks like, I'm not your guy. And inside, I'm thinking, oh, dear God, the fate of this man's immortal soul cannot possibly depend on my ability to describe the Trinity to his satisfaction. The good news is, it doesn't. His soul doesn't depend on me being able to do that. Being faithful to the gospel, being available in the moment, I've lost track of this fellow over the years, but I wouldn't doubt he's going to be the next story at my dining room table. Like, hey, you remember back, like, Wow. And so we keep on praying, Lord, make the effectual call if you haven't already. And see how we're even participating in that? It's our availability and faithfulness. We're loaded up with truth, Ugh. and so we go. Did you know that next, this coming Saturday, March 11th, people will launch out of this very church, hey, little old cobblestone, to share this power in the nearby world. There is an evangelism practicum where I come from, we call it a road test. In evangelism practicum, you meet here 1 p.m. this coming Saturday, get a little bit of a <laughs> last-minute instruction, and then off we go. Off we go. And, and kind of like, you know, when Jesus sent the 12 and then he sent the, the 70, 72, we don't know what's going to happen. But I'll tell you this by way of preview. All week I've been praying, Lord, bring, bring new life in Christ this Sunday. Will you please, please, God, bring new life in Christ this Sunday. So have a new believer, maybe a lot of new believers. And Andrew told me, a new believer at a communion table in first service. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Angels rejoicing in heaven? Yes, 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 yes. So here it is. Yes, the gospel is full foolishness. The power is God's. So we get these two things. No other name. God saves people. Ready? Go. You're not going to find gospel coaching, I don't think, any simpler than that or in any simpler format than that right there. <laughs> there, are, there are mechanisms, sure, uh, for sharing the gospel that have been um, useful and helpful over the years. The, the, the Romans Road, the, the bridge illustration, maybe some of y'all encountered that in your salvation story. But you know, if we go out of here today with just two verses of Scripture, we would do worse than to have just these two. I think they'll do. John 14, 6, and Romans 5, 1. Thomas asked, Lord, how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Quote. That's red letter in your red letter edition. Words of Jesus. Thanks be to God. So if the person you give these words of Jesus to maybe ask a question, and that question is something like, so what happens if I believe these words of Jesus? Romans 5.1, therefore, we love therefores, the so that's, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else that person needs to know about salvation is downstream of that and totally knowable. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to write a doctoral dissertation. I don't have to be the smartest guy in a room. I'm never the smartest guy in a room. Just ask my wife. Maybe I was the smartest guy in the room for confessing that. Nope, still not. Those right there. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What does justified by faith mean? Pick it up later. The truth is still there. The truth isn't waiting to become true for your explanation. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We plant the seeds and trust God for the harvest. It is really, it is really that simple, church. You know, several years ago, a friend of mine asked me, he said, John, how does Jesus' death on the cross 2,000 years ago purchase salvation in this present day? And I, I groan when I recall the cheesy answer I gave him. Something about, you know, God's not shackled by time, or I don't know. I was trying to impersonate C.S. Lewis or something. I was no help in that moment. <laughs> in that moment. Thankfully, Jesus does a way better job than I do. Way better job. And when you read through the Gospels and you get toward the end of each of the, the Gospels, you begin to figure out about the point where, where Jesus is gathering for the Passover meal with his disciples. You start to get the idea, like, you know what? Jesus knows, and he knew then, that we're going to have a hard time remembering how this works and how it is that the atonement is for all ages. It's, it's bigger than we can wrap our heads around. It's, if we leave it strictly in the spiritual realm, we're not going to be able to focus on it. If we leave it strictly in the physical realm, it's going to, going to be depleted, right? It's not going to, I can do physical stuff anywhere. But Jesus knew, it sure looks like he knew we would have trouble remembering. And so, and so, therefore, he instituted this thing called communion. It is a sacrament. It is the intersection of the spiritual and the physical. It's something we get to do with our physical bodies that demonstrates the spiritual reality, the thing that's no less real for being not visible. And communion is one of those. We will get to take ordinary bread, just, just ordinary bread, and even though we weren't there on Calvary's hill that day, we get to, we get to pull that bread apart and, 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 and feel it and taste it and let that remind, it, remind us of Jesus' actual body broken as if we had been there. We get to take regular old grape juice and let that remind us of his blood poured out to the very last heartbeat as if we'd been there. You see, the eyewitnesses to the crucifixion and death of Jesus, Jesus made it so there's no advantage. We're not at a disadvantage. Maybe I should say it that way. It's the amazing thing a sacrament does. And so we do have just the bread and the juice. Got some gluten-free up here in the middle. Like We even get to use gluten-free to remind us of the body of Jesus. Probably shouldn't have done that. The Apostle Paul, again, in the 11th chapter of this remarkable letter, 
that God breathed out to him and he sent to the Corinthians. In the 11th chapter, this was part of the correction. The Christians in Corinth were doing the Lord's Supper or communion horribly wrong. If you haven't read it lately, go read it, go read it again. It's like, what? So the people with a little extra time on their hands, they would, they would show up and, and, and eat all the good food and drink all the booze. The folks who were punching the clock or like, you know, they had to work a little late and they come for the, the, the love feast and the Lord's Supper, like all the good stuff's gone. The thing the apostle really cleaned their clock about was this. The one simple instruction Jesus gave with communion, right? We could tear bread or we could use the little wafers on the cups, right? We could use grape juice, we could use wine. Some latitude in there, right? The one thing Jesus told us about communion, remember me. Remember me. And the Corinthians there in chapter 11, Paul is correct, correcting them for not remembering Jesus. So this is our time, church. This is our time to remember Jesus, to reflect. And David and the worship team and Aaron and I, we've kept everything to this point fairly compact to make room for this, because this, the Lord's table, is the centerpiece. This is where we remember. So you want to take some time right here, lots of time, to remember. A little bit of like maneuvering and housekeeping. There are four tables along the back of the sanctuary, and there will be people there, elders and others, who are ready to engage you. If you want to engage, pray, confess, receive communion from, a, from another person. That option is open. Over here on the, on the wings, the self-serve tables, as we call them, you want to gather, if you want to come alone or gather with others, pray with and for each other, place maybe to bring your family and, and have receive communion together. That's there. Gluten-free, right here in the middle. Takeout. We have takeout. It's in those little cups and those little wafers like underneath the cellophane on top. You know, maybe there's, maybe there's some more work you want to do with the Lord out in the woods somewhere. or in, I don't know. Maybe there's some work you want to do with a brother or sister or a neighbor. Maybe that reflecting is going to take you out of this building and this remembering of Jesus is going to, going to continue as you go out of the building. You don't want to have that on hand. Take out. It's ready. And one more very important thing. Communion is for Christians. It's, it's for Christians. I remember a day, I was standing almost exactly right here. And I was talking with a young Muslim man. And he quoted to me, John 14, 6, your Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You've spoken well, sir. He says, that's exclusive. Yep. Couldn't argue that. Chose not to argue that. Other than to say, the invitation is open to all. On that day, he was not receptive to the invitation. That doesn't give me an out to not make the gospel call. I keep on praying, Lord, 
Let there have been a day. You know how you take the verb tense and work on it a little bit? Let there have been a day when that young man was open to the invitation. And that thing Jesus said, instead of, instead of seeing it as a point of contention, he's seeing it as a point of praise. I have found the way and the truth and the life. And he loves me and he died for me. Communion is for Christians. Has anybody, stick your hand up in the air, good and high, if you have ever walked into a restaurant, picked up a menu, and seen bread and grape juice on the menu as an appetizer? It would be silly, wouldn't it, right? The same thing. Somebody outside of faith, saving faith in Jesus, this bread and juice means nothing. Oh, but. Oh, but. Oh, but. There was a young man in first service. There was a young man in first service, and the very first evidence he gave of saving faith in Jesus Christ was to receive communion. And that's something. Come on. Maybe there's another. Maybe there are several. And if that's the case, you know, I, would, I wouldn't doubt that the rest of us would step aside and let you have every scrap of bread and every drop of juice in the building. I'll bet there would be music. Yes. So that's kind of how it rolls, really. Whew, we're here to remember. We're here to remember our Lord, our Savior. So here are the elements. Plenty of time to reflect. If after you receive the elements, that's your, that's your, your last thing on the way out the door, perfect. And we'll stay, pray with and for, praise more, plenty of time. Nobody's rushing anybody out of the building. So this is going to be like my exit strategy is just to pray a prayer of gratitude over the time we have, the elements of communion, the Lord we serve, saying, Lord Jesus, we have trusted you. We have trusted you. You've been good on your promise. You said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Lord, in this time, keep on praying as I've been praying all week. New life in Christ. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You made it real for a young man a couple hours ago. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Lord, is there more deliverance in here today? Is there somebody's name we will speak, one of us here, that works deliverance somewhere else? Lord, could that be? In Psalm 107, it says, your word went out and healed. And we're trusting you with your word. And we're offering up gratitude. I once was lost. I even pray, Lord, will you remind all of us who are, who are secure, who have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, will you Lord, in your perfect way, maybe even remind us of who we were before so we can offer a proper praise and gratitude for who you're making us now. In this time of reflection, Lord, maybe you'll do some of that work. Lord, sum it up in these three words. We trust you. 
your name, your power, your glory, your promises. And so we pray it all in your name. Amen. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.